It's an epic showdown between Jesus and the legion of demons out in the tombs. And, uh, you know, a lot's changed since Bible times. I wonder what this would look like today. How would the demons and Jesus face off in a battle in the contemporary world? You know, um, especially with technology and communication, the internet. There's a lot of different tools for the devil to use that are new since Bible times. Uh, you can almost imagine if there's a showdown between Jesus and Satan battling through the internet to promote their ways. Um, Satan challenging Jesus, you know, I'm going to spread lies and lewdness and evil through the internet. And Jesus saying, I'm going to spread the good news of my kingdom through the internet. And they battle. And they're coding against one another. And Satan and the demons coding. And Jesus and the angels coding good and light. And the demons, viruses and worms and all kinds of evil things, and you just see this epic battle, and then all of a sudden, a massive power surge. All, all the power goes out, all the systems of the world reboot, and everything that Satan and the demons had done wiped out completely. But the work of Jesus and the angels restored, and it's, it's all still in place, and they're victorious, and you know why? Jesus saves. Get it? That was a lot of work. And that didn't go over well. <laughs> See, the power went out. And the work of the devil was erased. And Jesus was still there. Because Jesus saves. <laughs> That's an, it's an old one, too. You should, have been, you should have been anticipating that. My goodness. Well, there's always the 1045. So, um, I'll work on it. Um, we're talking about spiritual battles today. One of our goals in this sermon series through the Gospel of Luke is about confidence. If you remember Pastor Brian, when we began the series, he was talking about his friend, the atheist, and he wasn't surprised that his friend was an atheist or the reasons why his friend was an atheist. He was surprised at how confident his friend, the atheist, was in his atheism. And we, as people of faith, we want to be equally confident in our faith in, in, in all areas. We want to live as whole life disciples of Jesus, but we want to live as confident whole life disciples of Jesus. And we come to accounts in the Bible like this, and it certainly raises a lot of questions. It may even, it may even sound weird. You know, it's a lot easier for us in our everyday to talk about our faith in Jesus in terms of hope and, and love and, and forgiveness. But then we start talking about angels and demons, and we sort of cross a line. It may even seem weird or embarrassing to us to think about these aspects of our faith, actually very important parts of our faith. Um, but we, we don't want to be embarrassed or um, unsure of these things. We want to be confident. So, so here we go. I want to look at the, the spiritual power that we see here. This is all about power, this whole account. Uh, at first, I want to look at the, the power of evil. Look at that a little bit. I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on that, although that's not my... The, the main thrust of where we're headed here. But I do want to flesh that out a little bit. So the power of evil, firstly. Second, the power of Jesus. And thirdly, what I'll call frontline power. And I'll explain that when we get there. Let's, let's pray, though. Father, you're good. It's good to worship you. It's good to sing to you. It's good that you're here. It's good that you are active. Your love is great. It is complete. Pray that you protect us as we look into your word. I pray that you would teach us as we consider your word. Pray that you would continue 
by the power of your spirit to do your transforming work in our hearts. We love you. We praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The power of evil. Evil. Uh, think of this poor man. Um, the demonic influence on him was very heavy. Uh, very powerful. We don't know how it all started, but in verse 27 it says, For a long time he had not worn clothes or lived in a house. He had lived in the tombs. This, this man could not function as a normal uh, human in society. He was so impacted uh, by these spiritual forces. Verse 29 says, Many times this impure spirit had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. This is a, a man who had been strong and violent and he, uh, in such a way that he was just, he could not be kept in normal life. This is a very strong influence. So a very strong demonic influence on this man, but also he's living in a very dark kind of a place. He's living, we're describing this region across the lake from Galilee. So this is now Gentile territory. That's why you have, there's, you know, they're raising pigs there. You wouldn't see that in the Jewish communities. Uh, and there's tombs. He's living in the tombs. And, and archaeologists in this region have found ancient tombs. This is a place where there were burial grounds. And, you know, we think of in ancient days and even in present times, you think about cemeteries and tombs and that there may be more kind of spiritual activity in those kind of places. It, this is all being described. This is the big setup. The, the many demons, the tombs, all this is a very dark, demonic kind of a picture. And in Jesus' day, you know, they certainly believed in, in these things. Uh, whatever we think today, whatever people think today, th th this was very real to these people, very real to this man uh, and to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was known as someone who both healed people physically but also cast out demons. The Bible accounts it, certainly, but outside the Bible, accounts of Jesus was known, Jesus was known as, a, uh, as someone who cast out demons. Now, sometimes people look back at something like this in the Bible and they'll say, look, you know, demon possession, clearly this is just a really mentally unhealthy person. And that all of what, you know, you would have in the first century called demon possession is really just crazy people. They didn't understand schizophrenia. They didn't understand uh, some of these other mental disorders that would cause people to perhaps behave like this man. And I was reading uh, one commentary on this, and, and basically this is what it said. So look, this guy was clearly crazy. Jesus went, the man was making noise, Jesus made some noise, and it scared the pigs, and the pigs ran away. And Jesus said, look, there goes your demons and the pigs, there they go. And he's trying to help the guy, you know, just kind of get over his thing and, and, and heal him by convincing him that these things weren't real. Uh, I don't see a real need to have that strong of an anti-supernatural bias. And there's other places in scripture where they say, oh, you know, the Bible says this, but it's really just describing normal, you know, stuff that's not supernatural. For me, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this man died and that he rose again from the dead. I don't have any problem with supernatural things. So when we come to these things, it doesn't, I don't feel a need to explain it away. So with that said, what, what, what do we believe about this uh, in terms of demons today? Some people 
I put myself in this category, you have no problem believing in forces of evil, the devil and demons. And even people who don't really believe in God or believe in the God of the Bible, look at the world, they'll watch the news, and you say, you look at all the evil in the world and how just, just distorted and violent and wars and genocide, and you see these things in the world and you say, there has to be. Evil is real and forces of evil must be real. That people can't just on their own do such horrific things. That there must be some, some sort of devil or demons in the world. But for other people, you know, they have trouble with that. They, they, whether they just don't believe in anything supernatural, and, and many people don't. Um, but it's just, and I don't know, when you interact with people in, in your everyday, you know, what do they believe about these kind of things? For me, Jesus believed in the devil and demons, and that's good enough for me. Uh, he, and he also cured people of illnesses that weren't attributed to demons. So there was this difference between, yeah, this is demonic and this is just a physical illness, and the Bible describes both of these things. Um, so... But again, is this just a Bible times thing? You know, you have Jesus walking around the earth. You know, God takes on human flesh. Is now Satan also trying to take on human flesh? And maybe because Jesus was around, we saw more of it. Um, I, but I, I believe that these things continued beyond Jesus. Jesus told his disciples that they too would cast out demons. Uh, after Jesus left the earth, the disciples did that. It's accounted in our Bible. The teaching of the New Testament is very clear that there is a spiritual battle that exists today for believers. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So yes, the, the work of demons in the world continues beyond the time of Jesus. So then the question is, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Could I be demon-possessed like this man was? Interestingly, the word demon possession gets into our Bibles, but it's not really a biblical word. So in this account here in the Gospel of Luke, it basically the Greek word is that he, this man had a demon, or he had demons. So it's more about having a demon, or you could be demonized, but... When we think demon possession, some of our understanding of what that is and what could, that could look like is based on movies and other sort of stories that are a little bit beyond the Bible. We think of uh, demonic activity where the person can no longer function in their own body. And in, in this case here, you say, well, this is pretty close to that. This is a very extreme case. Um, but could... So can... Could I, as a Christian, kind of end up in this situation? And I would say no. Uh, there's no biblical example of followers of Jesus being possessed by demons. So that there's, it's just not there. But also the Holy Spirit, as we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides in our body. Our body becomes his home. And that a, an impure spirit could not live with the Holy Spirit of God. But certainly... For Christians, we can face spiritual attack. That's why there's all this language in the Bible. Again, I just go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What, as we put it all together, what do we understand? It's that we need to be on our guard. That followers of Jesus can be influenced or attacked uh, in the spiritual realm. 
So, so what do we, so what do we do? A few things, we have to keep a few things in mind. The first of all is that the power of evil is limited. It's limited first by Jesus. Look at verse 28. Here we have this, um, this man with the demons, and he says, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torture me. Even the demons know who the Lord is. They know who the ultimate judge is. They know the ultimate power. Satan and his demons, can only, can, they can do nothing except what God allows. And if you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, Job, the first couple chapters, really describes this well. That everything that happens is under the sovereignty of God. And in a sense, I mean, Satan may think he's accomplishing his will, but really accomplishing God's purposes through it. For example, we read in the New Testament that Satan had prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So that's a great victory for Satan. Satan's getting his way done. But what does God use that for? His good purpose, right? So that Jesus goes to the cross, which seems like Satan's winning, but really it's Jesus defeating sin and death and the enemy, crushing the enemy on the cross. So this is God accomplishing his good purposes. So uh, the power of evil is limited by, by Jesus. It's limited by time. And what I mean by that is that, that the destiny of all evil, the devil, his demons, is destruction. And it will be accomplished at God's appointed time. Verse 31, we have uh, the demons begging Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go to the abyss. And what is the abyss? I, uh, as we look through scripture, it uh, seems to be a place, uh, kind of a holding place for uh, evil and demons and, and, and a, a kind of a locked type of a place where there's awaiting this judgment and destruction of evil. And there is an eternal fire for the demons, Jesus said, Matthew 25, 42. And really, it's all rooted in the cross, that, that Jesus Christ defeats all enemy, all sin, all evil, all death. By his death and his resurrection, he shows that he's powerful over it all. So the power of evil is limited by Jesus. It's limited by time, meaning that it will be destroyed at one time. And by our defense, that we have, our, we can be defended against it. Ephesians six eleven says, uh, "Put on or six twelve six eleven put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme." That we have armor, we have spiritual protection. It's not just that it's it's that evil and the work of the devil is just running wild in our world, and we're just totally defenseless against it. That's not the case. So. Practically, then, when we see evil or if we experience evil or if you somehow experience a demonic activity, what do you do? Well, Jesus just rebukes these things, tells them to go away. So in the same way, we can do the same. You could pray, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go from here and do not return. For some people, it helps to sort of Name it. There was an instance in the Gospel of Mark where there was a, a man who was he he had this he had a demon and and he was he couldn't speak or hear and Jesus said you deaf and mute spirit I command you come out of him and never enter him again. So if there's a specific 
symptom. A spirit of fear, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. A spirit of anxiety, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. Okay, so that brings up another question. Why do I need to do that? Couldn't I just say, Jesus, get rid of this spirit for me? I don't need to rebuke it or... Well, that's, I think you should pray that too. Jesus, help me. I feel like this is, this is a spiritual thing and I need you to, to do that. But we also just rebuke these things. Think about it like this. If somebody needed encouragement, we could pray, Jesus, please encourage this person who needs encouragement. But wouldn't we also go and speak encouragement to the person? If, if someone needed to know Jesus... We would pray, Jesus, make yourself known to this person, but wouldn't I also speak of Jesus to this person? When somebody is going way off the rails, we could say, Jesus, you know, help this person deal with their sin and their going away from you, but wouldn't we also gently seek to rebuke you? We are active in what God is doing. So we ask God to do his work, and we do ours. Some... Some considerations, I'd say, uh, don't frighten people with this thing. Don't tell people they have demons. Um, yeah, I mean, you chuckle, but I, that we, you know. I think if you have a friend or you're in a time of prayer with somebody, you might ask a question like, do you think spiritual forces of evil are at work here? Maybe we could pray through that together. And that might be a, a way, but I wouldn't just go around sort of like, oh, you've got a demon. Let's see, we've got some work to do. Um, I would also recommend do not get into long conversations or battles with demons. You just rebuke it. You just, a basic prayer for Jesus to deliver and to heal and to protect. But we don't, we don't need to shout. I don't, this is just, this is more my opinion than biblical fact, but I don't think you're going to scare a demon by shouting at it. Right? They're demons. Um, so I would just say, if, if, you, if you pray and are stuck in that, um, that you would then seek help. It's just, you know, this seems to not be going away, and, and that's when you would call me, or a pastor, or a Christian leader. You know, we, we, we offer prayer every week at the end of service. If, if you ever felt something like that, then, you know, this team is uh, more than... than able to help pray with you through that kind of a thing. Um, I wouldn't become overly curious or obsessed with this kind of thing. Uh, I think the error is to pretend like it doesn't exist, and the other error would be to obsess over it. And, uh, and remember that people need Jesus first, that uh, don't get hyper-focused on the demonic stuff. Focus on Jesus and his word, and those are the things that are going to uh, heal and protect us uh, from these things. So... Um, so we could avoid these topics. You showed up this morning. You didn't know we were going here. Um, and, oh, we're going there. So, but, but we address them. We want people to know. But deep down, even people who don't know Jesus, I think a lot of people believe this stuff exists. They just don't know how to deal with it or what in the world um, to do. But we do. And we have Christ. So that's the power of evil. Secondly is the power of Jesus here. Jesus is, I mean, his greatness here over this great, evil is just so much greater. Um, Again, as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has just calmed a storm. So he has power over over creation in the natural world. 
Here he casts out this legion of demons. He has power over the supernatural world. And then immediately after, he raises a young girl from the dead. He has power over even life and death. This is all, this whole section of the Gospel of Luke is all about Jesus' power over all things. And it's his power of love to heal and to cleanse this man. Now, for you animal lovers out there, you'd say, well, what about Jesus' love for these pigs who he then, who are killed? Um, Fair question, right? So can pigs swim? Have you seen a pig swim in the last year? I have. So the answer is yes, pigs can swim. And how do I know that? Topsfield Fair. They had swimming pigs at the Topsfield Fair last year, and you didn't know that, and I did. Um, so the cute, cutest little pig swimming across. It's, they break a world record of the swimming pig. So pigs can swim. Jesus doesn't kill these pigs. This is de- the demons um, have brought this. It's not Jesus killing animals, if that's any concern to you. But um, the power of Jesus and his love for this man is so great. Uh, and, and then they, they see Jesus' power and they want Jesus to go away. They send him away. Um, why are they sending Jesus away? They're a little frightened by what just happened, but he's also very bad for business. Right? You're raising these pigs and now they're all dead in the water. There's not much you can do here. It reminds us of a story. There was a, uh, an account in the, in the, in the Acts, um, the, the book of Acts, chapter 19. There was, in Ephesus, there was a silversmith who would make these little idols and things that people could pray to. And as people came to faith in Jesus, they didn't want that stuff. And they started a riot to get the disciples out of town because it was really bad for business. When we see the power of God, we realize that that my possessions and the other things that I pursue are important. You know, he has authority over all those things. And he threatens those things. And people want to push him away. But we, when we see the power of Jesus, as we put our faith in him, we realize, Colossians 1.13 says, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. God has done that. That Jesus is in charge, not Satan. Colossians 2, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. For us, we need to know that we do not need to fear any spiritual evil. We are safe and secure in Jesus who has triumphed over all those things. He has the power and we put him first in all things. That's the power of Jesus. So we have the power of evil, which is strong but very limited. We have the power of Jesus, which is ultimate. And lastly, we have frontline power. And here's what I mean by that. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone gone out, begged to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Right? So this man, he's healed, he's now in his right mind, and he wants to just stay and be with Jesus. And isn't that a good thing? Wouldn't it be better for him to stay and be and walk with Jesus? In this case, no. Because his testimony is much more powerful when he stays in his hometown. Um, If he goes with Jesus, if this man goes with Jesus, he's just a guy who used to be really crazy, but who's in his right mind. So you meet him, you meet a normal person, and he said, hey, I used to be really crazy until I met Jesus. 
And that's a powerful testimony. But when he's at home and the people who saw him naked and running around the tombs and breaking chains and doing the crazy stuff see him in his right mind, they say, whoa, that's a powerful story. I can walk around this town and I can introduce myself to people. Hi, I'm a pastor at the Free Church. Oh, you're a pastor. That's wonderful. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, okay. I, I go to my high school reunion. I say, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. You're a pastor? Yeah. You preach and stuff? Yeah. Wow. That's a story. So, this is frontline ministry. And I don't know how useful this guy is going to be to Jesus anyway. He has no real life experience except being crazy and wandering around tombs. But in his hometown, this is a powerful story. And think about how powerful his presence is in his testimony in a place where Jesus is not welcome. Right? Jesus has to go away. He said, but you, you stay and you tell. For, for us, on our front lines of our lives, we think about frontline ministry. This is, means when in my everyday where God has called me, I have a ministry in Jesus' name. We are doing this in places where Jesus is not welcome. Some of you, when you go to work, your place of work might be very open to spiritual things and you could have a spiritual conversation, no big deal. Other places, they say, no, this is not a place where Jesus is welcome. You can check that at the door. I don't care if you go to church, you can pray at home, but here in this place, doesn't belong. Yet, there is a way that you can speak, and ways that you communicate, ways that you forgive and love, ways that you act with gentleness and honesty and integrity that has such power on your front line that you can't, you can't send it away. You can't ban it. You know, people lament, oh, they, they took prayer out of schools. Did they really? Can anybody really take prayer out of anywhere if a follower of Jesus is in those places praying? Somebody could look me in the face and say, um, you may not pray. <laughs> I just laugh. I am praying. It can't, you cannot stop it. And that's the power of frontline ministry. And then Jesus reminds this man, don't walk with me. You stay home. You tell what I've done for you. The power of the story in the hometown. And in the Gospel of Mark, the same account is recorded. Mark says that all the people were amazed at what they heard and what they saw. Part of this, we, 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 we've been in our church, we're sort of organizing ourselves into parishes, which is basically group neighborhoods and kind of regions where we come from. We worship here together on Sundays, but we live in all these different places. And in many ways, geography, you know, we're suburban, suburbanites, we have cars, we have highways. It's not a big deal. We can just, you know, I can drive and go to a small group in one town and I can serve in another town and worship in this town. It's, it's not that big a deal. Other ways, you know, understanding that God has called us to locations and into regions and that we have a frontline ministry in those places is important to us. So every person in this church, you, wherever you live, you have been assigned a parish, a, a area, a geographic area, where um, we're going to be doing more things together and just getting to know each other a little better. Over the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be having what we call parish soup. I want to get this right. Please announce that parish Sundays are happening this month. Parish Sundays. Uh, so... That where you're going to be gathering and meeting people who live kind of near you, knowing that you have a frontline ministry, just as this man is called to stay in his town, that we are kind of working in our areas in the same way. Um, 
Now, what if you say, well, I'm not, I have this frontline ministry and I could bring Jesus into the place where he's not welcome, like my place of work, but I'm just not a good person. So I don't want people to really know that I'm a Christian because I'm not really a good Christian. Uh, we've talked about this before. Don't be ashamed. And don't set an impossible standard. You are not a Christian because you're perfect and so well behaved all the time. You are a Christian because you fail. You are a Christian because you sin and you know you need a Savior and you've put your faith in Jesus. So if people see you living a perfect life and think that that's what it means to be a Christian, they'll never get there. But if they see you and you can be a Christian, then that's more of a, that's more of a standard I think people could, could live with there. Um, and if you feel like there's an inconsistency between your faith and your walk, then that's a place of growth. That's a place of prayer. You know, you can repent and you can uh, invite God's spirit to change you in those things. And you might say too, well, you know, I'm not a bad person, but I just don't have a very good story. This guy was crazy and naked. I'm just kind of, I grew up with faith. I haven't, I don't have that kind of remarkable story. Keeping your faith through a long period of time in your life is remarkable to people who don't have faith. And don't, don't, don't downplay the fact that you've probably, if you're, you've probably been through trials in your life where you have walked with the Lord through those things and the power of that testimony. You don't need some crazy story. It's, it's knowing God's presence through all of, of life. And, and knowing that it's not just what God did for me way in the past, but what is God showing me today? These are all parts of our testimony that we bring onto our front lines. And here's the beauty of all this. Jesus has all the power. And, and we've, we've all been tempted by evil and, and the devil and the demons. We fail and we've sinned and we've fallen short, but God's grace is greater than that, more powerful than that. He takes all of, those, all of the sin and all of the waves we've fallen into these things and he takes them on the cross. He defeats them. He takes the punishment for them in our place. He dies. All that stuff gets buried, but he rises up to new life, to give us new life as we put our faith in him. He gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can stand firm against any attack and then we take it everywhere we go. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your power. We, think, we, we confess, Lord, we don't fully understand all the, uh, what happens in the heavenly realms and, and spiritual forces. But, Lord, you've showed us enough to know that you are powerful and we trust you. Lord, just give us, uh, give us strength to persevere. Help us to see our mission in our everyday as we go into these places where you are not welcome, Lord. But we bring your spirit with us as we go. We pray that you would empower us to speak truth and to minister grace and love in every way, Lord. Be glorified in that, Lord, as we live on mission for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.